0: There are uh, questions we ask, and when we're not sure, we ask on behalf of another person. When we're maybe a little insecure about it, we, we say this, well, maybe you, you probably do have a friend that you blame on everything, and so uh, we as a church would say, well, what, what are some of the questions that, you know what, if, if the church or, or, or the preacher person would bring it up, it would be, you'd be of value. What does the Bible say about stuff? That we're not asking like we ought to be asking and not talking about in the ways that we should be talking about. So all our locations are leaning into this, and uh, I just want to preface this, because uh, not everyone that is, is listening and watching is, is watching in person. We're gathered in, in today's context to celebrate a very significant thing. people declaring that they are followers of Jesus. It'd be awesome. I say that, that we're here to celebrate we're here to celebrate, right? We're going cel- to celebrate. I, s- I say this because of the question that we need to talk about. It's in reference to, to death. And I know I got to say this at the beginning because there's many of us like, of all the topics that I don't want to talk about, that might be near the top of the list. Most of us don't either like talking about it whether whether because it's so personal to you that maybe recently you've lost someone or you're even in the process of losing someone and so this this brings up emotions that you're just not to say it lightheartedly in the mood to deal with or to face then it just all just it seems morbid to talk about it like Of all the things we could talk about, if you and I had coffee, like, hey, instead of talking about sports or the weather or just fun stuff, most of us don't lead with, let's talk about death. And here's what I'm going to tell you as a pastor. I know this is true because I see it so true. So many people don't talk about and deal with death until, as you would guess, death plays out. So, uh, there's a reason. Let me give you some Uh, psychology behind this. There's a thing called terror management. When faced with the idea of death, we defensively try to shield ourselves from the thought. Some of us are like, that's exactly what I've been doing. So now you know terms. Terror management. This is normal. I'm not trying to shame anyone. This is actually a normal behavior that you and I have, is is if you're going to face something that you don't want to face, many of us move into managing the potential terror of whatever that is, right? You got this, this is normal. The problem is, is it doesn't really work. A decade ago, a study was done and basically uh, interviewed all these people uh, who were facing death, talking about death, or refusing to talk about it. And what they discovered was those who refuse to talk about death and even go into the subject, those are the ones who have higher anxiety levels about it. It's actually a proven fact that if you'd be willing to at least have a a short uh, one-sided conversation where I talk, you listen, then I think we can actually get over the hump of it being a taboo subject. Make sense? Good? I, the way you're looking at me, you're like, what, is, what have we gotten into? Don't worry about it. This will actually, I'm going to tell you where it will end. You, will, you should have a ton of hope. And this should be a good conversation, but you've got to go there. So let's, let's go to perhaps the core chapter. If you, ever, if you disregard the rest of the sermon and you're like, well, what did that dude say? Just, just remember 2 Corinthians 5. And you go back to 2 Corinthians 5, and 2 Corinthians 5 will give you a lot about the topic of death, and if you're scared of it, if it it literally terrorizes you, go go to 2 Corinthians 5, and it'll begin to give you truth that we need to stand on. For we know that when this earthly tent, when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. Now, I personally do not enjoy camping. I know many of you do. You love camping. Yay for you. Good for you. And some of you are le- the hardcore people who, who are tent people. In fact, some of you are even the more hardcore people. You just don't even use a tent. But w- we get the analogy of the tent here, right? Well, we get the, 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 the Bible's bringing up like, hey, so eventually the tent gets taken down. You don't need a lot more descriptions of that, but it, it's, it's giving you evidence. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. I thought there would be an amen. I always expect an amen, like, yes. Uh, uh, We grow weary in our present bodies, and and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. So here's the question. What happens when I die? I think perhaps that's what we have a quandary about, because... Again, I'm gonna be very open-handed with you in this sermon. The majority of funerals that I've ever led or attended, if you don't know this, about, and I don't even think I, I'm even stretching this, I'm gonna say 99% of the funerals I've ever been at, everyone concludes at that funeral that this person is in a better place. 99% of them. It's a constant, and I know maybe we're like, well, we're trying to be positive right in a dark situation, in a tense situation. Well, what I want us, if we're a church, which we are, if we're trying to follow the way of Jesus, we got to lean into, like, okay, so so what is really going on in the midst of this? And there's lots of different ideas. Oh, have fun on the Internet with this one. I thought I'd sum up just a few of them. Uh, one is there's, well, when I die, there's, there's reincarnation. There's multiple religions that conclude this. In other words, that when you die, there's this idea that, that you'll basically resurface in another form a, a thing or a person and it's usually based on how good you were previously like did you do really good then when you're reincarnated it's a pretty good situation for you if you did really bad it's not such a good situation i know i'm summarizing and overgeneralizing reincarnation but that's one of the views is that when you die you just like start over in a, in a different, like, setup, a different tent. Uh, another, is purgatory. Basically, when you die, you, you go to this, not final destination, but a, but a place where you kind of work off some of the bad that you did. And, again, you can study this on your own, but it's just a view. I'm just showing you some of them. Of course, there's heaven and hell. You're going to expect me to bring this up. Uh, that, that there's a heaven and a hell. There's, there's actually two places that when you die, you, you go to one or the other, and then I, I didn't think we should leave out one of the options that I, at least I've got friends that believe it. It's that nothing happens. That when you die, well, you, well you died. And, and, and the time that you had is all that you have and, and that you are your body, in essence, governed by your body. Everything is about your body and nothing happens. I know there's more views, okay? I know that. But those I think, from what I can tell, are the top. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about some of this. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Already giving terminology to that death happens. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. If you've ever been to a Christian funeral, and it appears as though almost if it weirded you out, everyone seemed happier than you thought they should be, Everyone seemed to be like, they weren't as like in the depths of despair like you expected them to. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it would have, it definitely would have been confusing. You're like, do we know what just happened? And Well, we're, we're leaning into words like this. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. We're not make-believing this stuff. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. What do you believe? Well, Jesus just says something that I think brings reference to what we need to lock on. Let's let's take this so slow that some of you are going to get annoyed. Here, one, our physical bodies die. You're welcome. Take notes. Okay? We're talking about death, so I just thought we should bring up the most blatantly obvious part that most of us, I don't think, are going to argue. Our physical bodies die. Here's another place in Scripture. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered. Once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. I don't think you need me to belabor this detail, but we've got to build this, right? So here's the next one. Our soul separates from our body. See, this is where, I don't know what you believe. I hope you I'm just going to teach you what the Bible says. Is that we aren't all the same like there's a body but then there's like this this other thing you may have felt it before and sensed it before but we actually have the bible that teaches us about this don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body they cannot touch they cannot touch your soul it's just if you i think it's important can we okay can we admit that there's some things that we know but we don't know why we know them Right? Or, or we might say, I know that, I believe that to be true, but you need to have a little bit more than I, well, I believe that to be true. That's my truth. Don't do that. I mean, do you remember what your truths were when you were a third grader? And how some of that's changed, right? So that's why we go through this stuff. That, For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we will groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die or get rid of these bodies that clothe us, rather... We want to put on our new bodies so they, that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Our, our, our soul separates. The, the best way to say this is, is there's two parts of you right now. You got the body, call it the vehicle, <laughs> that the Bible does teach us that we're supposed to take care of, but then there's the soul, the you. You. Jesus uh, talks about this in, in, in multiple ways. Even. And, and one of the ways that Jesus talks about this is in what's called a parable. You can call it a story, however you want to word it. But, but Jesus brings up, I want, to show, I want you to see uh, the way Jesus talked about death and life and what happens after we die. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was, was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and, and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus laid there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. Now, just stop for a second. Jesus is telling a parable, and if you've paid attention to it, he is just referred to two places, He's brought up, in his story, two places. One sounds nice. The other one is not described well as a place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance, far distance, with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had, Lazarus had nothing. So now he's, he's here being comforted and, and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. All I'm trying to show you is this is Jesus. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but what I find is most people like Jesus think he's cool and teaches good stuff. We're a church that follows the way of Jesus, has surrendered to Jesus, and so when you see someone get baptized, it's not just like I think he's a good dude, it's I'm living my life by what he taught and what he valued, I am all his, he is my savior. So what you gotta do is so when that guy tells a story, you would be like, i need to know what he's meaning and what he's talking about and in the story jesus tells us basically in the story there's a good place and there's a bad place there's a place of seems pretty nice and a place that is has words like torment in it there's a place that seems great and a place that just a drop of water from a fingertip is satisfying Some of you don't like stories, so let's go back into some more of what Jesus taught. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth this is intense if it feels intense perhaps you even grew up in church or you've seen at least someone on the sidewalk preaching you're like yeah this is the stuff they scream at us the the what is it the terminology like turn or burn and if you're wondering if that's where i'm going with is i'm not i have no intentions of ever trying to scare you into a relationship with god uh i i can't just so you know that i can't scare you into a relationship that's not how this works that's a toxic relationship So I know I don't want to introduce you to God out of fear. But we can't ignore the stuff that Jesus said. Jesus brings up there's two places and this one place versus the other place is way different. Matthew 25 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life. One of my favorite places talk about what happens after we die is an actual physical moment that plays out. If you remember this, Jesus is on the cross, but he's not, he's not alone, that there's other crosses around him. That was very normal for Romans to crucify multiple people at the same time, but if you've if you never paid attention, it's a good time to pay attention to the, what played out during the crucifixion of Jesus because there was a guy there, a criminal that was kind of like mean, and, but then one that has this encounter. Let me, let me show you because I, th- I think this is profound. But the other criminal protested Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So you and I should hang on to the words of Jesus in this moment. Like, rem- remember. And he says, I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. So you have to conclude in your mind like, okay, so either Jesus is like a people pleaser, which I don't think he was, or he's given you and I evidence where you don't have to conclude. See, many Christians right now are constructing their worldviews on what they think might be true or what feels good or what seems sensible and logical. The better route is, what did Jesus say? Let's build on that, let's stand on what Jesus said. So you take this moment where Jesus tells a guy uh, who basically says, I believe in you. I know who you are. Yes, I've lived this past life. I mean, obviously, he's a criminal being killed for it. And Jesus' response is, out of this belief going, I will see you today, In paradise. Whatever you think happens after you die, let the words of Jesus determine what you believe. So here's a summary. Like I tell you all the time, I need summaries. Our physical bodies die. Write it down. Our soul separates from our body. And we go to heaven or hell. It's tense giving me looks today like I'm talking about money, and I'm not. (laughs) But does it not give you a, a sign that this topic is heavy? I have yet to meet a person who isn't affected by death. Some of us are afraid of it. Some of us are wounded by it. Some of us are lonely because of it. Some of us are questioning God because of what played out where it's playing out. And you can feel it, can't you? So if my intention is not to scare you (laughs) into heaven, what do we do with the sermon that talks about heaven and hell and life after death? Well, rather than me come up, well, here I think some great ideas, let's go back to the story that Jesus was telling you that I didn't finish. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. This is a guy like living in what was described as a place of torment, a place that apparently was so painfully hot that just a drop of water from a fingertip would, would help. But the, the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have, have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Some of you have to sit with this because that seems insensitive, doesn't it? The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. A story told by a man who would rise from the dead. If you ever need help with the love that Jesus has for you, is that he died and came back to life knowing that everyone wouldn't believe it. But he still did it. See, it seems intense. It seems like, in fact, I have got friends who don't want to ever go to church because they think the church is full of just judgmentalism, and a lot of it is like, do it our way or you go to hell. Do it our way or you burn forever. And it seems like that, and I would tell you that like, that would be true if, if what Jesus uh, said, he didn't say. But hell doesn't have to be like this all afraid thing. Uh, here, this is what we're talking about as a church all year long. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You take just those words from Jesus and you have to wrestle with if you think God is evil and mean because hell exists, like, how does that mesh up with the fact that Jesus said, uh, Yeah, hell is, exists, and I'm the way not there? That's kindness, that's, that's love. Like, I mean, Jesus would be mean if it's like there's hell and you will burn in hell and I'm not going to tell you how to get to any other place. That's mean. But it helps us understand when Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, he's helping you and I understand. Yeah, hell's real, and I hate it too. You follow me, you don't ever have to get close. I thought about how do we illustrate this? Let's go to this tent and camping world. Let me take you two paths. Okay. You're now camping with me, which is very dangerous, by the way. Because you'll look at me someday and be like, what do we do, Pastor David? i would be like, I have no idea. Get in our cars? Go get a cabin? Let's just say you and I are walking through the hills. Or better yet, the mountains where we're like, it's kind of high, the elevation has changed, and we don't know what to do, but... And I tell you, as your well-versed guide, I see two paths. Here's what we do. If you go path A, I've taken that path before. It's majestic. If you go to the top of this, you just take that path, It's wonderful, it's an easy hike actually just to go up there. It's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be beautiful. You're gonna take pictures or wish you had remembered to bring a camera. It's gonna be amazing, life altering, absolutely epic, yes. However, don't take path B. Been down there, there's 30 bears down there. They've not eaten in months and your clothes smell like honey, by the way. <laughs> okay. You, got, you, you with me? Okay. So, so then I've got to pitch it to you. Which path would you like to take? Because frankly, I'm not going to drag you either way. This is for you. This is your journey. It's not mine. You would say, wow, Pastor David, you're so kind to one Tell us where the nice view is, but especially to tell us where the people eating bears are located. <laughs> right. So get beyond the humor of this. This is exactly what God has done for you. He's like, there's path A. Oh, I made it good for you. It's gonna be awesome because I want a relationship with you and you got to choose. There's path B. I don't want you to go there. In fact, I'm going to do everything I can to intervene in your life in such a way that you are knocked on the head in such a way that you get the information about you know clearly where to go. I'm going to build what's called the church and make sure the church spends decade after decade, century after century, telling people which path is the best path to take. I am going to intervene and be in your lives i am going to bring my spirit in such a way that you will be prompted and you won't even know what you're being prompted by whom and all that but you're going to be led i think this is the right path do you see the kindness of god in this you should never be scared into a relationship but it should be a logical conclusion so this is why when we look at things like john three sixteen and 17 for this is how god loved the world He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him, the guy on the cross next to Jesus, hmm, will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. God is a good, loving God, and if you've ever been to a funeral where the person who died is a Christian and you're wondering, How is everyone not in the depths of despair? It's because we believe Jesus. So uh, let me explain a little bit about baptism because this is so connected. 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks to everything I've spoken to you about. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is why if you're new to this, and, and baptism, I mean, if you're brand new to this, let's, let me just say it, baptism is super weird. If you've never been to a church service or seen someone get baptized, and you just got, it looks like random people are being slammed underwater, and you're like, how long are we holding them under there, and then brought back up, and we're all excited, and you're like, that looks traumatic to me. Just, am I just, some of us are like, yes, finally, we said it. No, no. We're taking things like, the old life is dead. My old, my old who I was for and what I was all about is, is gone and dead. My sins are, are dead. What, what's being held against me is all dead and we bring them up out of the water just so you know. It's a sign of resurrection, a sign of this. You have a new life. You are literally made new by the Almighty God. So that's why we celebrate. It's a big deal. We as a church we will cry. I, have, I cry, I think, every funeral I ever go to. Every, every funeral. Can't help myself. It hurts me to see others hurt. It's okay to cry at these, but, but you can cry and not lose hope. You, you tracking with me on this? Like, you can, you can actually cry and, and be hurt and, and feel the effects of the loss, but say, you know what? We are a soul, not a body. And we're talking about eternity. So what do you do with this? Well, well, one response that I really want to talk to you about is, this good news isn't just for you. Do you, do you know what kills a church? you know what shuts a, a church up forever? Is when the majority of that church starts to think that the good news is just for the people inside that building. It's when you and I start saying, you know what, I remember my moment, I got my moment. A moment with God is awesome, and and you got a certificate, maybe you got a picture of you getting baptized, and and you remember going to a camp or, or having this big moment, or maybe it was a church service, you're like, yes, this is so awesome, this is my church, I love my church. But when you start thinking that it's just for you, that that good news that changed your very soul is just for you, intended just for you, and that you're supposed to hold it to you and rely on someone else to tell other people, that's when churches die. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5. We go like, so, what do we do with this? What, what in the world do we do with a topic about death that some of you are desperate for me to stop talking about? 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. So, whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive, we'll each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, be careful with this. You could misinterpret this and think, oh, I earn God's love, not true. But just as though you can't earn salvation, our behavior here on planet Earth matters to God. But not just like how good you are and nice you are. Philippians 1.20 For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Bringing honor to Christ. So here's the question. Are you living like eternity matters? That's the question. What do you do with the sermon that brings up uh, a question from a friend? What happens when we die? Well, then you lean into, are you living like eternity matters? One of my favorite quotes, I'll butcher it, so I'm just gonna sum it up, is when they talk about, yeah, everyone knows their birth date, and and you know your death date eventually, but there's that in-between, the hyphen part that's such a big deal. We talk about this all the time, trying to inspire each other. The hyphen matters, the hyphen matters. And most of us, if, some, if let's say a pastor brought up the hyphen matters, you, I, I see heads going, yeah, you're right, it's good. Okay, so I'm gonna say it, the hyphen matters. So I'm gonna do something that might seem like a left turn here. I've almost been pastor of this church for almost 14 years, that makes me feel old. Let me tell you something I've learned about being pastor of Fountain Springs Church. I can't speak about other churches, other cities and states, but I'll tell you what I've learned about being pastor of this church. You want me to tell you what's really going on. Maybe it's a South Dakota thing. I don't know. But whether it's good or bad, what I've learned that you don't want me to be some kind of politician that paints a picture of a church that, like, we've got no problems. This is fantastic. This is amazing. And we have a great things going on. Like, over 300 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ just on Easter. Almost 5,000 people gathered. I don't even know how that's physically possible. The amount of things going on in and through our church is absolutely, epically amazing, but what I've learned as your pastor is, you're, in your head you're going, is it all good? No. And I think it's in this question, are you living like eternity matters? So I'm gonna bring it up. Here's a number I found. Uh, 18.5 percent that's a summary average just so you know the information I received is I got information about how many parents are involved in the kids ministry that their kids are in you tracking with me so when when my kids play sports you I've told you this before, like, I'll be sitting there watching practice, and someone just shows up and puts a clipboard in front of me and says, where are, you, where are you serving, right? And you're like, well, I have to, and then they say, hey, we're doing a fundraiser, this is no big deal, but now you owe us $100 and buy these raffle tickets, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll do this, or my kid doesn't play. If you, if you have any kids in any sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you are, like, demanded, expected, required, whatever words they are. And we don't do that as a church. We don't make parents. We don't force you. We don't say, hey, your kid can't come into kids' ministry. But I think you—I you, think you want to know this. On average, eighteen and a half percent, eighteen and a half percent of parents who have kids in the kids ministry are involved in the kids ministry. If you here's what here's what you're learning right now. You're learning that well over eighty percent of the people involved in serving kids don't have kids in that ministry. Now. I, I know numbers I know statistics And some of you are like I know but I serve somewhere else Good for you That's awesome I'm not suggesting That everyone just like Leave all your posts And, and just all move To the kids ministry But I'm telling you it's, it's in my heart I'm supposed to tell you this That the weakest area We have as a church Are that parents Are more involved In the athletic And intellectual development Of their children Than they are The spiritual development Of their children And I'm not gonna guilt you, I promise you. If you feel guilt and conviction, uh, no, all I'm gonna do is gonna give you a path to take. Um, Let me show you the path to take. Um, It's called a QR code. I'm I'm gonna get out of the way. If you were to scan this QR code, it would take you to our website where you as a parent could say, you know what, I wanna get involved in the kids ministry. If you're not a parent, you're like, must not mean anything. Yes, it does mean something to you. What I'm telling you is, if you and I were to stop everything, you know what the last thing we would stop as a church? Is the kids' ministry. Are you living like eternity matters? I know. This will be the last time some of you are here. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to tell you one thing. We're, we're not going to turn your kids away. Uh, We're not going to do like, well, looks like you aren't serving. Take your child to the auditorium now. (laughs) But uh, right now, I'm playing out what I have learned as a leader and as a pastor. You want to know the good, and you want to know the bad. I've just told you the bad, and I'm challenging you to do something about it. Let's let our kids know who Jesus is. You need me to say any more? I don't think you do. Now let's Living like eternity matters, so let's make this super personal. Have you decided to follow Jesus? I think before we go into celebrating baptisms, which, by the way, um, again, I'm, I'm a numbers nerd. I, I don't know why because I did horrible at math as a kid. Uh, but, but let me tell you about, about the numbers of our church. Do you know that over half, over half, over half, over half, over half, over half, over half of the people signed up for baptism are 18 or younger? Thank God for the people serving our kids. Now, for those of you who don't know who Jesus is, let me talk to you for a second. I've read to you tons of stuff from the Bible that tells you that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. But many of us dodge that, avoid that, and we definitely don't get baptized because it's gonna make us cold, change our, how good our hair looks and we haven't planned for it. Maybe you were baptized as a baby and you're like, I don't know if that plays out for me, but we as a church practice this. Believer's baptism, that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you declare that publicly and you signify the old is dead and you've been made new. So all I want to do is pray with you. But just so you know, some of you, your heart's going to begin to increase in speed and go, well, now what do I do after I, get, after I pray this prayer with Pastor David? I'd say you get up and you go get baptized. It's really that simple. But let me pray with us. God, God, I've been asking you for quite some time to meet with us, to just let us be in your your presence and to experience you and to hear from you. And so God, I pray that every one of us have heard from you, have heard your words, have heard your nudging, your prompting. God, I, I wanna apologize if I need to. I don't know if I need to, but God, I wanna apologize if I overspoke, if I over-exerted, over-emphasized anything. But God, would you speak to our souls, help us hear what we need. And God, I pray specifically for the individual right now who has never formally decided to follow you. They've never formally declared publicly to be baptized and to say, I follow Jesus. God, I pray that you would speak into their soul who they really are. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never known how to start a conversation with God and say, I want a relationship with you, you can say this, God, I want a relationship with you. God, would you come into my life and do everything necessary to be in my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Take authority over every corner of my life. Lead me, guide me, comfort me. But God, I declare to you, I am yours now. I want to follow you, and so I do. God, I pray for our church. As we celebrate what you've done in our lives, Lord, would you help us to feel the significance? but God, even more, help us to live out the significance. We love you. We do all this and pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: We have an amazing opportunity. And in this moment, in this time right now, uh, you've been challenged. It's been put before you, and, and we're ready for you. Uh, we're always ready. Uh, we have a shirt. We have shorts. If you're like, I, I don't want to get this wet. We have a towel. We have a team that wants to pray with you, pray over you, and, and just celebrate. Even back there, begin celebrating what God has been doing. And so if if you're here and you're feeling prompted, the conversation turns to you. Would you be willing to take a step? Would you be willing to not be satisfied with sitting there going, maybe next time? Maybe today is that day. And I want to encourage you to take that step, to be bold, to, to trust that that God is moving in your life and that he is calling you out to something greater. Right across from me is a door that will be open. And you can walk through there. Our team will meet you. Our team will walk out the steps of what it does to take to get baptized. And we're going to love it. We're going to love every bit of it. Uh, when when people come, here in a minute, I'm going to have Jennifer come. and And... When she comes up out of the water, your charge is to ce- to celebrate, to, to cheer, to go crazy, to be excited about what God is doing, not just in their lives as they declare what God has been doing, what led them up to this moment, but to encourage them when you see them, when you see them next week, when you see them after services, as, as life, like, hey, tell me about that. What brought you to this place? I want to hear your story because we talk about stories all the time and it's so vital. And so I'm going to invite Jennifer to come. And, uh. As she comes, um, she shares her story, and I'll have you face the other way after you turn around. She shares her story about the reality of always knowing who Jesus is and having Jesus a part of her life, but uh, not always walking that out and not always following what it looks like to, to live for Jesus and having moments where she was apart from Jesus, and, and but, but always remembering that every time she pressed in, he was always there. And uh, she talked about the struggles of, marriage and, and just the ups and downs, that the average things that take place. And in the middle of that, um, when they moved to Rapid City, coming to a decision of going, I, I think we need to find a church. We want to find a place where we can be a part of. And so in the middle of that process, that led them to the Civic Center, where ever since that moment, um, they have been a part of church, whether it's groups or serving. And, and I love it. I love watching you be a part of what's going on. And even now, being a part of this moment, but one of the big things is, you said you held off on baptism for a long time, always felt like you should, but then that conviction of your daughter going, I wanna be baptized, and you're like, I can't can't say no anymore, (laughs) and that's awesome, and she's gonna get baptized right after you, which is a great thing. I think it's one of my favorite parts is when moms and dads get baptized with their kids. And so, like we ask all questions, Have you given full surrender of your life over to Jesus Christ? Jennifer, are you all in to live for him? I love it. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
2: you. Uh-huh. It's outstanding. Perfect. This is our song, praising our Savior all the day long. This is our story. This is our I body was broke Darkness, life to slay. The frame of the fire.
0: Let's give it up for the people that were baptized this morning.
1: If you happen to be new here or, or you'd like to get plugged in, tomorrow night there's a, uh, there's a Next Steps experience at our downtown location from 6 to 8. Uh, and you're welcome to be a part of that. If you have any questions, you go to the Next Steps table out here. Um, also, kids, don't forget to sign up for camps. It's going to be amazing. You can do that in the lobby too. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful day.
3: Um, to trust you
4: it will be okay where we are i don't know where we are but it will be okay laying on the table like i wasn't even there holding on the steering Your name staring at the ceiling, fan feet far away, leaning on the reasons like it wasn't even fair. What was I driving in the rain? What was I calling out your name? People pulling over, crying, thinking we were dead. What was that? Driving in the rain. What was that? Calling out your name.